Hey, good morning. Welcome home. How you doing? Good to see you. It's a great day. Um, you guys don't even wait anymore. What if I said there is no children's church? Of course there is. Go ahead. God bless you. I love you. You know, I know that's how some of the adults are feeling. That dude's up there. I'm running. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, um, look under one of the seats in front of you. That's yours to use if you'd like to have a Bible. And you don't have one. That one's yours. Um, I'll tell you what to do. Just shove it into your pants, and at the end of this service, just run fast. Um, okay, don't do that. That's creepy. You can have it. You can keep it. You can walk with it out if you need it. Um, we're in a study of the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, we're calling it Live Ready. Here's, um, here's what's about to go down, if you haven't been with us. Um, Jesus, in his power and wisdom and love, is going to dictate to the Apostle John seven short but very important letters to seven churches. Now, if you're a church person, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a good chance for us to look at some really jacked up churches. And, and here's the thing, we're going to see ourselves in them, right? Um, and so he's getting us ready because, as we said, these letters aren't just to those seven historical churches that John wrote to, but all the churches. If you're just um, checking out the faith, if you're just checking out Jesus, um, and you're not like part of the churchy crowd, and, well, you're welcome to be, but if you're not, this will give you a chance to see um, us uh, under the microscope and, and some of the things that we need to do better and, and really um, that are broken. And so he is doing um, kind of a physical, if you will, as a doctor would do an annual physical on these churches. Tell them what they're doing well, um, what's not going well, and what's really, really, really dangerous. So we need to listen to uh, him right here, right now, because um, it's very important um, that we respond and listen wholeheartedly to what Jesus is saying in these letters because these letters, which will take one a week. After that, those are in chapters two and three. When we get into chapters four and five, we're going to be visitors, guests, if you will, in the very throne room of God in heaven. And as we do that, we're going to see more of the nature and character of God. We're going to be able to see what he's planning, what he's doing. And then when we get to verse six, um, it's going to sound um, really crazy, but in verse 6, all heaven breaks loose. In, in God's love, he brings, um, he brings wrath, actually. And so, well, how can that be? God is loving. Why would he do that? And we talk a lot about that, uh, of how love isn't exactly what we think it is. Um, what he's doing, he is pressing on the people who have not responded to his invitation of love, who haven't listened, who haven't... Um, his desire is that all would receive his love, would receive his freedom, would receive his forgiveness. And so as he, as he makes things really difficult here, it's with the hope that, that people would come to him and, and, and be forgiven and be set free and be spared. Um, and so that's what we're going to see. But when we get to there, it's, it's really shocking because you can, you can see that those people um, there's a big group of people who will not, when that starts happening, cry out to him for rescue, for forgiveness. Rather, they'll call to the mountains to fall on them. 
that they'd rather be crushed physically um, and be hidden away um, than stand before God and his holiness who is reaching out in his love. It's all about love and, and we need to go there and we need to um, we need to take a look at some of the sober realities of what life is and what, what things are happening and, and the prophecies that are, that are being fulfilled. And some of you are like, Marge, I need to go to my happy place. I need, you're going to get there. So here's the thing. Every page of this book, every, every movement, every act of God is Jesus trying to seduce us, if you will, in the very, very best sense of the word, and, and everybody to come to listen, to respond, to receive his love. That is, that's, that's the call. That's the good news. And he's going to do everything, everything, regardless of our obstacles, regardless of our resistance, regardless of our worldview, to bring us there because he loves us and he sacrificed himself so that we would not have to be broken and sacrificed. Okay, Revelation 2. That wasn't even the message. So here we go. We got to get into it. Um, starting in verse 1, these are the words of Jesus. You might have a Bible that prints them in red, but even if you don't, this is him speaking. He says to John, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, he's talking about himself. Okay, now we know this is Jesus because he's using the descriptions of himself that we saw in chapter 1. Okay, now if you want to catch up with that, if you haven't been tracking with us through that, you can listen to the message two weeks ago called You Look Different. Okay, it's uh, on the website, gunnisonbethany.com or iTunes. You can listen to that free. Um, what is Jesus doing? He is walking among the seven golden lampstands. Now, in that chapter, when we studied that, we said the seven golden lampstands were the churches themselves. And a lampstand, if you remember, is, is a platform, if you will. It's not the light, but it, it raises up the light. Why? So that God's light through God's people can go out into the darkest of places. And, and here's the point, that it could illuminate the way home. It can show the love of God that is calling, seducing, drawing people back to himself so that the people that we love, the people that he loves, can find their way home to him. That's what the church's job is. And Jesus, the risen Christ in heaven, is walking among the seven golden lampstands. He's walking around the churches. He's got his hands on them. He is refining them. He's changing them. He's helping them raise up the light higher, stronger. Why? For themselves? No. No. For those who have, that he loves, that we love, who've yet to see how much God loves them and how much all of the things that they're struggling with and will struggle against, he's already won the victory over for them. So um, that's what he's doing. He is speaking into them. He is speaking into us. He is helping. He is refining. He is blessing. He is challenging. He, he's ministering to the churches and, and, the, and the people in them. Okay, sleeping in is really good, but if God Almighty has his hands on the churches, then let me be there. But let me not camp out there because the light is not meant to be kept inside these walls or inside these friendships, these huddles. 
They're for the people that we love who are far from God. Not because we're right and they're wrong, but because everybody should know how much God loves them, how much he's done for them. That's the greatest blessing in my life. And if I keep it to myself, I don't love anybody. Okay, all right, here we go. That's where he is. So Dr. Jesus is ready for your physical. Here we go. Verse 2, here he goes. He's going he's gonna to talk about what he sees in this church, in these people. Let's see if we can see ourselves there. Verse 2, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. Okay, now, because Jesus is the great physician, because he's encouraging and loving, if there is something good in these churches, he's going to call that out first. He's going to encourage them. He's going to call, you know, he's going to celebrate that. He's going to encourage them. And there is something good. There's a lot of things good in this church in Ephesus. These people are not spectators. This is no slacker church. These guys are getting after it, right? Jesus gives them props for it. They're hardcore church people. They, they work hard. They fight against evil. They're not hating people. They're opposing those who are hurting others, who are contrary to everything God is trying to do in the world, right? And trying to call even those people back. They work hard. They fight against evil. They know their Bible. They know the Word of God. They don't fall for preachers who are really fakes, who are charlatans, who will say anything to draw a crowd or line their pockets or get people to think more of them. Send me $30 in the next 30, 17 minutes and I'll send you this sham wow anointed holy cloth from the Holy Land. Really? They're not buying that. And we're not either. But God doesn't care how you live or what you do as long as you love him. They're not buying that either. Are you? So they, they measure people and preachers against the word of God to see whether or not that's actually what, um, what God is doing. They're all good things that they're doing. They're standing strong. They're not giving up. They're not throwing in the towel. These are all things that we should be doing, right? But um, Dr. Jesus is about to look under the hood. He says, okay, it looks like you're breathing. looks like your blood pressure. Your reflexes are all, all good, but... Let's get inside. Let's get inside to where the motivation is, why we do what we do, why we say what we say, why we think what we think, why the direction of our lives is the direction of our lives. He's always going to go to the heart. You see, we would always rather tinker with the outside, right? Our behavior, our, our externals. And, and you hear a lot about that when you, when you hang around churches, fix this, do this, do it. You know what? We can do that, but if our hearts aren't transformed, it doesn't really matter. You know, we can be, poly it's like a car that doesn't run. It can look like trash on the outside or it can look good and shiny, but if it doesn't run, it doesn't run. So he's always going to go to the heart. We always need to go to the heart because you can get the outsides right. And if the heart isn't right, you're still not going to run. But you get that heart right, everything else is going to flow through that. So that's where he's going. He's going to the heart. Here we go, verse 4. Things are about to get a little ugly. But I have this against you, Jesus says, that you have abandoned the love you had at 
first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Other translations say you have abandoned your first love. I'm sorry to say, you know, doctor comes out, but things on the outside might look good, but you have pancreatic cancer. And unless we have a miracle here, you're going to die. Not just physically, but spiritually, not just for this life, but forever. And all that they were doing right, they forgot love. They abandoned the love that they had at first. The sweetest, the best, the most meaningful part of the whole thing they're missing out on. And, and, and Jesus is, is, is like saying, you're not loving as, as much as when you first believed in me. In fact, the longer you've known me, the longer you've received and experienced my love, the opposite has happened. The less loving you've become. How, how many have ever met an unloving church person? Only me? It's me! You've met me! <laughs> then you've met somebody who has a need to love him and love other people more. Because as we press in, as we walk with him, as his, his life grows inside us, we receive his love. His love is not a one-way ticket. It's a round trip. It's to be spread and shared. Before we go on, we need to take a look at this. So how do we know? How do you know? How do I know? If we've done this, if we've abandoned the love we had at first, it's a really hard question to answer, Um, especially in our culture. Uh, Pastor Matt Chandler puts it best. He says, the problem is that the word love cannot be defined in our culture. It's a junk drawer word. How do I know this? Because you love your dog and you love your wife and you're not saying the same thing. At least I hope you're not, right? And we love barbecue and we love the Broncos and this has very little to do with us but has everything to do with what they do for us, what they bring to us, right? What we mean when we say love, if I could define it more articulately, is that right now, in this moment, in this situation, this makes me feel good. But if the moment changes, if the situation changes, if my feeling changes, then I'm, I'm out of love. I fell out of love. I no longer love it. That explains this bipolar swinging that we have when something doesn't work out. Look at, look at our divorce rates. And I'm not hammering on people who have who have come against this, this, this challenge. I'm sorry, my, my mustache is going like crazy. It's opposing like my ability to speak. So I'm saying, what is he doing? Look at, look at the challenge of, of, of divorce. As long as you make me happy, as long as you meet my needs, as long as you are a means to my end, then I'm in. But when you stop delivering on that promise, I... I fell out. I fell out of love. As if love is this emotive firing off of of emotional adrenaline or something. It's a drunk drawer. We use it for so many things. That's why we are so quick to turn on on our teams and our, our cars, you know. We have these feelings, I love my house. Until the plumbing breaks. I hate this house. I love my car. Until it won't start. I hate this car. Right? 
And we do. We love and hate our teams in the same game. In the same game, right? They're going to do it. They're going to, oh, they do this to me every time. They build my hopes up and then they crush it. Right? We love and hate. That's because the word means nothing. It's like love in this culture means I like it right now. And because that happens in our culture, with our personal relationships, our marriage relationships with our cars and houses and teams, we can also do that with God, right? We have this unwritten contract, you know. You unfold my life. You bless me in the ways that I want to be blessed, and I'm all yours, Jesus. But be careful, because the minute that you let things go out of whack, start falling off in my world the way I think they should be, then I want nothing to do with you. Or or we can take the other extreme, we can swing to the other extreme of this um, dysfunctional faith and say, Lord, as long as my life is good, and when things are all falling into place, and when, when things are great, as we would define great, when our relationships are good, our bank account has something left in it, and we're having a good time, things are falling into place. We tend to forget about God, maybe for a moment, maybe for a day, a week, a month, a season, years. But things start to fall apart. Our, our kids get scary sick. We lose our job. We're fighting an addiction or, or, or something like that, whatever it is. And we come running back to him. Put it back together. Put me back together. Make it right. And he always takes us home. His love accepts us back. But the effect that it has on us is that we're not transformed by that. We just start the crazy cycle again, right? He puts it back together and we go, okay, thank you. I'll come back to you when things fall apart. And that's not love. That's not loving Jesus. That's using him. That's treating him like the really brilliant, nerdy kid in high school that you'd never befriend unless the calculus final is coming up. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's in our DNA, and that's what's broken, right? We do that with people. We do that with things, and we do that with God. Love, be it in your marriage or in your faith or in your friendships, love is never quid pro quo. Quid pro quo, one thing for another. We have a contract. You deliver, I deliver. You break that contract, love's gone. No, love isn't that at all. Love is, I have decided that I am going to love you. And your response to that love has nothing to do with it. You can't stop me from loving you. Can you imagine if our friendships if our work relationships, if our world, if our churches work that way. Might look a lot more like this and a little bit less like me. A little bit less like you. A little bit more like God reaching out with this transforming love that draws all people to himself and to each other. Might be what he had in mind. Okay. Let's go back to verse 4. Let's ask the bigger question. Here we go. I have this against you, 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Here's the question I want to end. How do we understand this? Abandoned what love? Because I go through the commentaries. I read what, what pastors, far more wise than I, have looked in the scripture and, and, and determined what this love is. Is it what love have we abandoned? Is it love for God, love for Jesus, or love for other people, be they inside or outside the church? Now, if you're asking which is it and you were somebody who grew up in church, I can almost guarantee you've heard at least one message, if you, if you grew up in church, probably 19, about this passage that says this first love that he's talking about that you've abandoned is the true love for God, that people who serve Jesus but don't really love him anymore. That's not the motivation. That's not where it all comes from. They go to Bible study after Bible study, serve on committee after committee, attend church regularly, give generously, but all that is not anymore motivated out of love, knowing how loved they are and just wanting to be thankful for it, right? And certainly there are those here who are in that rut that we've just kept on keeping on and doing and serving and working, but it's not motivated out of love anymore. It's motivated out of something else. Maybe obligation, a dry sense of duty, identity, earning God's favor. It has a tendency to make us short and bitter. We withdraw from people because it's not motivated out of love, not for him. And so... We get too busy for love, too busy with all the other things that we forget the main thing, too busy trying to serve God that we forgot to love God. Henri Nouwen, a a great uh, author and thinker and theologian, said one of the greatest obstacles to loving God is serving him. Not that serving him is wrong, but we can get it all backwards, right? I mean, we do this, we see this in um, marriages a lot, you know, that stay together. See, see, we're not off the hook just because we don't get a divorce. I think about my maternal grandparents, my mom's grandparents, and they're both dead, so let's talk about them. Um, They um, were married 50-plus years. Till death do us part, they did it, right? But what might have started out in love um, quickly, because through the stories of my mom and my aunt and, and what I was able to experience, degenerated into kind of a dry role-playing. I do this, you do this. This is our contract. These are our roles. We did them. But they were good roommates. There was no love there. It wasn't what was driving it. And that can happen in our relationship with God. We got to get that right. We got to get that right. He comes and he tells us about these things, not to condemn us, but to call us to wholeness, health, and, and, and change that he wants to make. So we have a chance to make that right if that's where you are this morning. Others would look at this same verse and say, the love that God is saying that we have abandoned is, is not primarily for him. It's love for other people, both inside the church and outside the church people who follow Jesus and people who are far from him, that we've abandoned our our love for them, right, in in claiming to follow him. And if you're not a church person, if you've been, then then you might say, amen, dude, because I've been hating on 
by, by, by people who claim to follow uh, the loving God, right? Let's look back at Scripture. Let's go back to verses 2 and 3. He says, let's look at some of those things. They, they work, they toil, patient endurance. They're not bear, bearing with evil. They've tested people who call themselves apostles and are not. They found them to be false. They're enduring patiently, bearing up for, their na- for his name's sake. They've not grown weary. All good things, right? All of them, all of them inward, inward looking, inward in the church. We're gonna, we do, just going to huddle up. We've got to make sure we get this right, right? They're inward looking. They're important, but they're not the whole picture. Everything's about us. We've got to get this right. What about, what about the people? What about the people that Jesus came for? The people who are far from him. What, what about that? What about the whole picture of the lampstand? Well, the light is not for this room. The light is not for those who get up early Sunday morning and come to church only. It's for the whole world. It's for those whose, whose lives are shattered in pieces. It's for those who are so successful in this life that they've forgotten that the biggest success, the only success that's going to matter is knowing your creator. And they've grown numb to that. It doesn't matter what kind of darkness they're in. I have a, everybody knows people like this. And, and you're not to condemn them, you're to love them, right? I have my sister, she doesn't listen to the podcast either, so, so we're free. Uh, she lives in the Northeast. And she's a beautiful lady. I love her. But she's in darkness. And, and the way that we see that, the way that it, that unfolds in her particular life is control. She's got to have control of everything. She's a bundle of nerves trying to control. She has this meticulous diet that she has to control for herself, for her family, and, and germs, and this crazy exercise res- regimen, and time, and relationships. Everything has to be regimented in control. And, and she's not set free by that control. She's imprisoned by it because she has never met the God who loves her and has it all in control. And, and, and all of us need that, need to, need to shine that light out. They were shining it in. It's all, it's all in here. Does that describe you? Does that describe you? Take a look at Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. This is God's love. It's not emotion. It's not fragile emotion. It's a deep commitment. It's a deep commitment that initiates love, takes the first step, second step, 99th step. Here it is, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were at our absolute worst, repulsive to him, rebelling against him, ignoring him, mocking him, Christ died for us died for us to pay the penalty, the punishment that all of us deserve on the cross. When we were at our worst to him, he was his best for us. Does that describe your heart to those who are farthest from Christ? That you love them so much that, that you would actually sacrifice your entire life if your neighbor, if your friend, if your coworker would just see God and, and come to him through Christ. You'd do anything. You'd spend anything. You'd give anything. You'd give your very life. They would do that. Does that describe us? You have to be a better liar than I am to say yes. We need to be changed in our love for other people. 
we need to be changed. The core of the gospel is not some crazy emotion. It is self-sacrifice for those who are farthest from Jesus. It's initiating love. It's making sure not only within the church that this time that we have together, people feel more loved than they do at any other time because his love is here, his embrace is here, his people. We go and we sit kind of isolated and we let people come in. We say, well, that's not me. Well, that's not my wife either. In fact, she didn't talk to me for the first six months we dated. But you know what? She spent enough time on her knees to say, God, this is my heart and this is your heart and they're nothing alike in this regard. And now, and now when people come in here, she will love on everybody. She will hug on everybody. She, so counter to the way that, that her, her, the default of her heart. That's not me. Well, then join me in spending time on your knees and saying, Lord, I need a heart transplant. If this church closed down, would people who don't come here and never plan to come here, would they cry? Because they say, I may not believe like they believe. I might not serve the God they serve, but this town and my life and this city and this college were more loved because they were there. Or would they even notice if the church in Ephesus shut down? I wonder if anybody who wasn't intimately involved in it would even notice if you or I passed away today. I'm not going to just ask you, where would you go? Who would you go? Well, that's a deep question. But what would people say? Would they say, I, I, I don't believe in God. But when they were with me, I felt just maybe, just maybe there is a God who cares about me, who loves me. And that's gone now. That light's out. Would they say that about my life? Would they say that about yours? Why is Jesus tooling around with the uh, lampstands, trying to get that light shining brighter, shining stronger? shining farther because her people that he loves that he cares about that he wants to bring home that aren't home yet there's question church people do we give a rip do we really care as long as we get home as long as our families are cool as long as if the Spirit of God lives in us, we'll not only care, we'll be obsessed. Not so that we can be right and they can be wrong, but so that we can all be home. The stakes are so darn high and we get it so wrong sometimes. You know, I'm gonna bring it home. This plane is gonna land. Um, don't worry. We hear, we hear God calling us to love him with all our heart and soul and mind. We seem to think sometimes that this 
is, you know, we're going to show this to the world. We're going to show this to each other. And what does it end up being? It's some kind of veneer, some kind of JV pep rally. I love God. My life is great. I am so happy as long as you're looking. But when you're not, I'm depressed. And sometimes I think that my life is a sham. That is not what he is calling us to. So cut it out. It takes a lot of energy. And you could spend that energy praying that God would be the center of everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel, and everything we don't. We invite him in deeper so that we are consumed by his love, which generates in us, he initiates. You see that? He always initiates. And then we love him and we love other people in such a way in such a way that can only be explained by a supernatural occurrence. Is that your life? Is that my life? We abandon what love? So the big question is, we abandon what love? Did we abandon the love for Jesus or did we abandon the love for other people? Great debate, right? The fact that we even ask that question, is it either or, says something about our hearts. Jesus never separated the two. The scripture never separates the two, which is why when he was asked about what the greatest commandment is, he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said, and there's another one, and don't forget this one, and love your neighbor as yourself. You try to separate love for God and love for other people in the church and outside the church, people who live contrary, people who live lives that want to kill you for your faith in other countries. We're seeing this in Iran. There's a pastor right now who is under the death sentence for loving people and wanting them to come to Jesus. And guess what? He's going to die. He's going to die. And he said, it's worth it. I have a wife and two young boys and it's worth it. And you know what's happening to the church in Iran, the underground church? It's exploding. And they're under the death penalty if they tell people how much God loves them through Jesus Christ. And he says it's worth it. And God is moving there. And you know what? We can do that any, anywhere. Anywhere. I did a, like a, a, a re, uh, we did a Western Flames thing right at the college yesterday for people who met and married at Western. We renewed our vows. At a public college, I can say God loves you. And, and, and wants, wants you to know that. I still have my job today. It's free for us to do. And our churches are not exploding because we don't love, we don't, we don't love God and we don't love people with the same intensity, with the same commitment And the Bible would say, if your love for Jesus does not radically change the way you love people, then your love for Jesus may just be a sham. Don't get mad at me. Don't email me. Look in the scriptures. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't unpack it for you. I'm receiving it just as I'm sharing it. You can no more separate love for Jesus and love for other people than you can separate the two beams of that cross. Not that one, but the one Jesus died on. Here's where it comes together. First John, if you're in Revelation, just take a, take a left and go back a few pages. First John, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. 
this is it. This is it. In this is love. You want to see love? Here it is. God was made manifest, made real, made experiential among us that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. Love sent Jesus so we might live. He, we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. See, that initiates and sent his son to be the propitiation the payment for our sins on the cross in our place as our substitute. He experienced what he didn't want us to go through so that we might be set free. Love that cost him his life so that we might have life. When we were at our worst, he did his best for us. Verse 11, here's, get to see, see how it goes both ways. Beloved, the ones who are loved, he's saying, remember, you're the loved ones If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And and people want to put that barrier at the end of the church. You belong to Jesus, I love you. But if you don't, don't do that. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And that torch, that light, that lamp is raised high and through us they can see his reflection. They can see his love. Jesus loves us, wants to lead people there to him. Church in Ephesus, and many of us have just received Jesus' diagnosis. Here's the prescription and the consequences. Verse 5, turning back to Revelation 2. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, do a U-turn, and do Not feel, do. Love is do. If I say I love my wife and beat her physically, I do not love her. Remember, repent, and do. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here it is. This problem is so severe that if if you don't come to me and let me fix it, then I'm out of here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But what I will do is take the anointing off you. I'm not going to work through your life. I'm not going to work through this church. Why? Because it's not my light. It's something you've changed. Something you changed, you've made it about, about rules and condemnation and not about love for me and love for other people and shining my light and my hope and my, my truth. I don't want people seeing that. They'll get a wrong picture of me. I'm taking it down. I'm out of here, guys. And how many of us have lived lives that he's taken his hands off? And how many of us have lived in churches that he's taken his hands off and the anointing is gone. And we don't even know it. Maybe the church in Ephesus didn't even know it. Here, um, I'm going to say a few things that might get some of the church people irritated with me, but they're the truth. Here they are before we close. Two things, real quick, that believers don't want to consider. Number one, they preach the word at Ephesus. Okay? They 
all that verses two and three, they preached the word at Ephesus. Paul was their pastor. Timothy was their pastor. John was even their pastor for a while. They were people of the word, and they ought to be, okay? But if your only criteria for a church is that the word is preached, and I would agree with you, it is a non-negotiable. If it isn't, you need to run. But if that is your only criteria, God may not have his hand on that church if it is without love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, you have all wisdom, you have all prophetic power. If you know it all, you preach it all, and you have not love, you're what? Nothing. Nothing. Yes, preach the word, but yes, if it is without love. It's nothing. It's nothing. Number two, most of us, if we were honest, would be perfectly happy to find a church like the church in Ephesus as long as it checked our personal boxes. Music I like, check. Style I like, check. Short sermons, good, check. You're not checking that one here, baby. They don't sit in a creepy circle, check. Great kids program where they have slides and pinatas, and check. And never, ever, ever ask the question, is Jesus' hand still on that church? Is he moving powerfully in this place, in these people? Is he moving powerfully and regularly? Are people pressing into him, growing in him? Are they shedding themselves? Are they, are they entering into him? Is he, is he changing them? Are we changing because of our time with Jesus? Are the people here changing? Are they different people than they were one month ago, six months ago, a year ago? Are they being progressively set free? Are they loving God more? Are they progressively loving other people more? Is his hand still on that church? And I'm afraid that most of us, if we got all our boxes ticked off, would never ask that question. I know, case study of one, I followed Jesus since I was 16 years old. And it's only in the last 10 years or so that I've asked the deeper question. These things may not be exactly as I would prefer them to be. Here's the deeper question. Is his hand on that church? Is his anointing on that church? Whether they have rock music or, or choral music, whether they sing hymns or choruses, whether they have short sermons, long sermons, I don't, I don't really care. Is he there and is he working? Because plenty of us are in places where he is not. And we're still happy. I pray that this will be a place where Jesus' hand is always. Jesus says they abandoned their first love. Have you? For him? For other people? Is it growing stronger or is it growing weaker? He was going to take his hand off them if they didn't come to him and let him make it right. Are we in that same boat? Is he taking his hand off of your life if you're a believer? Although, because of the love issue, that's what we got to wrestle with. Me included, all of us. Here's the good news. There's always a way back home. Jesus never provides a conviction that he doesn't provide 
a return. Because if we have abandoned our first love, remember this, your first love has not abandoned you. It's time to come home. It's time to live ready. It's time to find the love again. Let's pray. Lord, um, no pride. No, uh, no pride in um, what, we're, what we're dealing with right now. Um, we ask you to press on our hearts and let your word have its way with us. Lord, if, um, if we have, in trying to serve you, um, forgotten to love you, we're sorry. We want to be fixed. We repent. We want you to fill us. Change us. Lord, if in following you, um, we have ceased to love each other in this place or in the city, in the college, in the lives of people who are far from you, who are so different from us, yet so the same, so desperately in need of you. If that love has grown cold, then we ask you to fire it up because we can't do it ourselves and we come. And there are people here who, um, Lord, um, would say that they have not responded to the light. They have not responded to your love. They have not come to you for forgiveness, for new life, and trusted that you have paid the price, that you have set them free from all of the junk, the sin, the wreckage in their lives. Lord, that's what you're interested in. And your invitation goes out to them too. I'd ask you to make them bold. Seduce us all to come home to your arms. Because until then, we're all wandering. And we're all lost. Even if we hadn't had your church.